Welcome to the MPC Podcast. I am Tim W. Gill, pastor of Medora Pentecostal Church, and I'm thrilled that you've joined us today. Here at MPC, we are committed to bringing hope and building lives. One way we do that is through this podcast. Thank you for listening, for sharing and reviewing what we do here. It is our desire to connect with you, and you can find us on Facebook, or you can find us at our website, medorachurch.com. It is our prayer that today's message inspires you, encourages you, and that the kingdom of God is advanced in your life. Let's get right to the word of the Lord today. Amen. Our theme for these 37 days of consecration is Church on Fire. And we are launching that with some lessons and messages on the seven churches that the book of Revelation is written to. Last service would have been Tuesday night. We, we, we spoke about Ephesus. I encourage you to go back and learn about Ephesus. And today we are going to be talking about a church by the name of Smyrna in Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. And the angel of the church in Smyrna, and unto the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things saith the first and the last, which was dead and is alive. He said, I know thy works and tribulation and poverty, but thou art rich. And I know the blasphemy of them that say they are Jews and are not, but they are rather the synagogue of Satan. How'd you like to go to church and Jesus say? I know this some folks, they think they're going to church, but really they're of the synagogue of Satan. Ouch. Verse 10, fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that you may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Heavenly Father, we come to you today, Lord, thanking you, first of all, for your word. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your church. Lord, just like there were seven churches that this letter was written to that were real Unique churches, Lord, you have your churches all over the world in local assemblies that meet like this, that come together, Lord. And the church is not this building. The church is not this this property. But the church is the people that come and attend here to do kingdom business. I pray today that you will help us learn from Smyrna. Help us learn, Lord Jesus, from that particular uh, thing that they were dealing with. And we're going to give you glory and praise in Jesus' mighty name. Let everybody say amen. Amen. Smyrna, the suffering church. God bless you. You can be seated. <clears throat> I want to go begin this message today by reminding you some things about the God we serve. He's marvelous. In all of his ways, he is marvelous. He alone stands eternal, infinite, and incomprehensible. There is none like our God. He was there before the beginning. 
Ruby asked me during the Christmas time they were visiting and said, said Poppy, when, who created God? When did God begin? And, and so I did my best to try to explain to her that God was before time, that he has no beginning. He always was, and he always will be. That's hard for our time-conscious minds to understand. Amen. But he was before the beginning. He is in the moment we live in, and he is in our tomorrow right now. That's the kind of God we serve. God is transcendent. That means he exceeds all limits of ordinary experience. He is the God of heaven that exists totally apart from his creation. He doesn't need the creation to live. He exists outside of the creation. He's the God that fills the universe, but the universe cannot contain him. That's our God. Praise his name. He's not limited to time, space, and matter. He is the only self-existing entity. He is the only self-sufficient one. The Bible tells us that he is sovereign. His power is supreme. He reigns omnipotent, all-powerful. John Blanchard put it this way, Our sovereign God never lets so much as a shadow fall across our lives without intending it to be for his glory and for our good. That's a sovereign God. Somebody say he's in control. God is truth. That is, he is absolutely true. There is, as the writer says, no shadow of turning in him. He is real. He's accurate. He is factual. And he is reliable. There is no fakeness in God. You can depend on him. Our God is righteous. He's always just. He is always just. Amen. Even when you can't understand him, he is always just. God, why you let this happen? Why this happen? God's always just. He always is just. Amen. He is the everlasting I am who is steadfast and sure. God is wisdom. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He knows what's best for you. He knows what's best for me. Hallelujah. Do you believe that today, that God knows what's best for you? Amen. And he knows what's best for me. That is that he is wisdom. His plan is not just good. His plan is perfect. His plan is not just good. His plan is perfect. Somebody say amen. He's the only wise God, Paul says. His wisdom is unsearchable. His judgments are sure. And his ways are unfathomable. Our God is wisdom. Our God is holy. Our God is good. Our God is love. And our God is long-suffering. But I want to direct you to something today that we're going to be talking about in this lesson. And that is our God is faithful. Our God is faithful. Amen. Revelation writes in 19 and 1, he is the faithful and true. In Hebrews 2, he, he tells us that he is the faithful high priest. Amen. In Revelation 1 and 5, he is the, the faithful witness. Lamentations writes that great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness. I love that old song. Great is thy faithfulness. Oh God, my Father. In Psalms, the writer writes that his faithfulness is established. 
In Psalm, he also writes, his faithfulness reaches to the sky. It's beyond me. It's beyond me. Can I just tell you today, I want to remind you today that we're human, that we're finite. We've got Google, but we don't know it all. We've got a lot of information, but we sure don't know it all. Amen. If you drew the biggest circle you could and say that's what God is, amen, we would be a little speck as a human being that we do not know it all, but I do know that he is faithful. He has my best interest at heart. Amen. This world has got a, 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 a demented view of God like he is some kind of supernatural Santa Claus that just hands out presence for everybody. Amen. Can I just tell you, he's not a supernatural Santa Claus. He's a God that knows that he's there for you when you struggle. He's there for you when you overcome. He's there for you when you hurt. He's there for you when you feel good. He is there all the time. We will find this true in the letter to Smyrna. Smyrna. That's an interesting name. Thank the Lord for autocorrect spelling because every time I type this word, I misspelled it. Amen. My, my, my dyslexia kicks in. But uh, Smyrna, if you would put the map up, please. Smyrna, the seven churches that, that was written to, the, to, um, to each one in specifically. We find, you see Patmos there. That is where Paul, or rather John, is on the Isle of Patmos where he gets this revelation the first letter was to Ephesus, there on the coast. And then some 40 miles north of there is a little town called Smyrna, which was really a big town. Smyrna. And then you find the others that we'll be talking about uh, later on, Pergamos and so forth and so on. Smyrna was a port city. Just leave that map up for a few moments. Amen. Smyrna was a port city that lay on the Gulf of Smyrna, just north of Ephesus. It was a wealthy and prosperous city because of its location. Commerce was coming and going. It claimed the honor of being the birthplace of Homer. It is distinguished because of its schools uh, and its rhetoric and its philosophy. Amen. Learning was a high premium at Smyrna. Pagan temples and huge arenas were built for Roman sporting events. It is said to have the largest market of its day. Smyrna is one of the oldest cities... In history, located in this area for its prime uh, uh, port ability, Smyrna. It is the only city of the seven of the churches that still exist today. The city still exists as Izmar in the city of Turkey. Izmar is the third largest city of Turkey. So we find these seven churches that, that Jesus wrote a letter to. What would I do if Jesus wrote a letter and sent it to us? Ooh, that'd be an important letter, wouldn't it? That'd be a very important letter. All right, let's go to Revelation chapter 2 and verse 8. Revelation 2 and 8. And, and the Lord said unto the angel, somebody say the pastor, the elders, the leaders. It was, it was to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, write these things which saith the first. Somebody say the first. Now, 
Every letter begins with a presentation or revelation of who Jesus is for that church. He says, I am the first. I precede all others. When it comes to all others in time, in space, or degree, I'm first in the series. I am before. I am prominent. I am foremost, he says. I'm the highest of rank. I'm the best, superior to all who are compared. I am the most, most important, he is saying. I am the first. Somebody declare again he is the first and then he said I am the last I'm coming after all others in time or space or being I am the only one that remains I am the when everything is done he said I remain no matter what happens to you I am there first and when it's all said and done I will still be there Woo! I wish somebody say he's faithful he is faithful. I am first and the last. I am the one, he says, which was dead and is alive again. I am from lifeless to resurrection. He is alive. He can speak to them about death because he experienced it. He can talk to them about life because he is life. He is the first. He is the last. And he's the one who is alive. Can you give him praise today? He's faithful. In the Greek grammar, in the Greek grammar, it would be written like this. I'm the first and last one. The dead and alive one. There is no other, folks. Amen. Amen. And he says, I am the first and the last. I'm at the beginning and I'm the ending and I'm alive. I was dead, but I have come alive again. Jesus is presenting himself as the one who had conquered death, the one who is the life source. He's faithful. Jesus is what Smyrna needs. He gives to them a message that was right for their issue. Amen. He wanted them to know, I am faithful. I'm first and last. In Revelation 1 and 11, Jesus revealed that he was Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. Amen. In Genesis, we find that God is everlasting. 21 and 33. In Isaiah, he inhabits eternity and lives forevermore. Isaiah 57 and 15. He is from everlasting to everlasting. Psalm 90 and 2. Isaiah tells us also that he is the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts. And the Lord said, I am first in Isaiah 44 and 6. I am the first and I am the last beside me there is no God. If Jehovah says that in the Old Testament and Jesus says that in the New Testament, then tell me, are they not one and the same? Is he, is there two first and last or is there one who is first and last? What is Jesus saying? He's echoing what Isaiah wrote about God in 41 and 4. I am the Lord, the first and the last. I am he. Isaiah 48 and 12. I am he. I am the first and I am also the last. Amen. If you're looking for the first and if you're looking for the last, it's in him. He's faithful. Amen. If you're going to face death, if you're going to face suffering, if you're going to face persecution, then you better be in covenant with the one who is victorious over death. Amen. If you're going to face all kinds of issues in your life, if you're going to face battles and tests and trials, then you better be in tune with the one who is the first and the last because he's faithful to deliver. He's faithful to save. 
It is interesting that the church at Smyrna and the church at Philadelphia are the only two churches that didn't get a specific rebuke. But what Jesus is saying, there are still issues that you're facing. But he didn't rebuke them. He didn't rebuke you. So Jesus sent this letter specifically for the situation at Smyrna under the pastor that was Smyrna. An angel of the Lord dictated it to John in a revelation and a vision. John then delivered it to the pastor. Can you imagine the pastor? Amen. Coming up. I'm going to get this piece of paper because it's going to be my letter. Hey, church, I got a letter from Jesus for you. I have got a direct letter from Jesus for you. Can you imagine standing up in the con- before the congregation and pulling this letter out and start reading? And, and here's what it said. I know. Revelation 2 and 9. I know. Jesus saying, I understand what you're going through. I understand what you're dealing with. I understand what you've been doing. I know what you've been facing. I know thy works. I know and your tribulation. I know the oppressive state that you live in. I know the persecution that you are facing. I know the mental, social, and economic adversity that is presented before you. I know. Can I just tell you today that church, no matter what you're going through, there's one that knows. There is one that is the first and the last, amen, sandwiched in between all of your issues. He is the faithful, and he says, I know. I know what you're dealing with. I know what you're going through. I know, oh Lord, you don't know. Yes, he does. He knows. He said, I know thy works in tribulation. I know you've been pressed together. I know that you've been afflicted and distressed. I know that. And he also says, and I know your poverty. I know you're poor. Thank you, Lord. This is a letter come from Jesus. He said, hey, hey, everybody, I know you're suffering. I know you're going through stuff, and, and, and I know you're broke. I know that you don't have anything. I've seen your checkbook balance. I know what your wallet looks like. I know what your purse looks like. I, I, I see that you're barely getting by. Everybody else is having prosperity all around you. The wicked is being blessed, but you're broke. You have poverty. He said, I recognize that. I recognize that you have little to no money. I recognize that you have few or no material possessions. I recognize that you're just simply surviving and are destitute. But then he put in parentheses these words. But thou art rich. I know you're broke, but I want you to know that you're rich. I know that you're suffering, but I want you to know that you're rich. He is teaching us that our present condition is not our real condition. Our present state of economic crisis is not the real state of our our poverty or richness with him. Hallelujah, because let me just say, God is with you. You're going to make it. It's going to be all right. Hallelujah. But you're rich. You're poor to these world's goods. But you're rich in character. You're rich in perseverance. And he says, and I know the blasphemy. I know the abusive slander of them which say they are Jews, but are not, but are the synagogue of Satan. Amen. Smyrna, here's what I know. 
your suffering. Amen. When you look up the word Smyrna, it comes from the word, or it means the word myrrh. Myrrh. Myrrh is used for the embalming of the dead. You smell good, but you're just good enough for dead stuff. Now, now where's the shouting? Bishop Walls writes in his commentary on Revelation, in order for myrrh to give off its fragrance, it has to be crushed. In this, we see the connection with the troubles through which the church must pass as ordained by the Lord. Smyrna would feel the crush of the Roman heel as it persecuted the church period uh, even to death. Yet, he says, as it always has, when it is crushed, the church gave off sweet fragrance and refused to lie down and die instead of stopping the church began to spread that much more. Can I tell you that when the persecution comes and when the pressure comes, that's a sign revival is coming as well because every time you see the church come under the myrrh mentality or the persecution or the crushing, hey man, here's what happens. Revival begins to break out. I can't explain it. Why? people march to their death and say I will not deny Christ others watch and hold coats and see that there's something different about that person and begin to find the Lord in the hour they're living in so he writes this and that's encouraging isn't it said, I know you're dealing with some folks that say that they're something but they're not but in verse 10 This is where the letter takes a detour. Verse 10. And the pastor reads, Fear none of those things which which thou shalt suffer. Fear none of those things which is coming. Don't fear the... Wait, wait. He already said that you're under tribulation and stress and you've got persecution. And then he says, there's more. It's a letter from Jesus. There's more coming. Then he went on to reiterate, Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison. I doubt there was anybody running the aisles and jumping over a fuse. The devil's going to cast some of you into prison that you may be tried. And ye shall have tribulation for ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Smyrna, Smyrna, a time of testing is coming. Get ready. It's about to get worse. Do you see today that we Americans are spoilt with our opinion of what it means to live for God? We think God has come to line our pockets, uh, uh, to fill our bank accounts, uh, to bless us, bless us, bless us, bless us, give us good cars to drive, uh, amen, give us good uh, places to work, uh, go out to eat and have a good time. That is the American experience. But to this very day right now, there are people like in Somalia, in China, in other parts of the world that are suffering great persecution. Amen, let me just tell you that being blessed is wonderful, Uh, hallelujah, but it it will tell us uh, that we can still get through suffering if it comes our way. History records that these early Christians were persecuted and killed by the Roman government 
for a period of about 250 years. Now, you've got to understand the concept of the Romans. The Romans didn't care who you worshipped as long as you would allow them to be accepted as being part of the emperor worship. The Jews were accepted because you know, they didn't give them any flack. They just left them alone. The religions were accepted if they would come in and embrace the Roman idea of emperor worship. But if you are a Christian and you stood for Christ alone, and you decided that you were going to call him Lord and not give in to emperor worship, you may be facing some very severe persecution, beginning with Nero in 54 A.D. and ending with Diocletian in 13, uh, 313 A.D. John Fox estimates that 5 million Christians were killed for their faith. Nero, Nero was a vile and despicable tyrant. He fed Christians to the crocodiles as amusement, set believers on fire to be the torches that lit that spectacle. Amen. Do you realize that Nero set Rome on fire to blame the Christians so he could amp up his persecution against them. He spread the word, amen, that the Christians were responsible. Oh, how vile and wicked Nero was. That is on the first side of it. On the end, Diocletian, that last Diocletian was even worse. He burned churches and Bibles. Any group meeting as Christians were put to death, amen. Some Christians were sunk by whole shiploads in the depths of the sea. He would fill them full and put them in the ship and then go out and seek them. Amen. I want to tell you my anxiety, my issue, my money, my problems is so small when you consider am I standing on the bow of a ship getting ready to be sunk. But here's what Jesus said. I don't care how bad it gets. I don't care how brutal. Amen. That the, the, the persecution becomes. I'm faithful. I'm first. I'm last. I'm there. Amen. Amen to be with you. Diocletian had Christians' eyes and ears and nose and hands cut off and put out. So they were left wandering the city streets to warn others not to be one. So much more. Here's what the Lord was saying. Persecution's coming. Get ready. Get ready. The battle was not that these instruments of cruelty, but it was against the spiritual power of darkness that was fighting the church. And here's what Jesus said in verse 10. You know that verse where he said, suffering's coming? He said, fear none of these things. Fear none of these things. Amen. Here's the battle. Here's the battle. If you and I are facing a test, if you are, are facing a trial, it's the fear that gets us. And the Lord said, I want you to overcome the fear because I'm faithful. I'm first and last, and I rose again. What gets worse than that? Death is the worst thing you could ever think of. Death is the, the thing that nobody knows about until they die. But he said, I died, but I rose again. I'm faithful. No matter what you're dealing with, no matter how bad the issue is, no matter how dark the night is, no matter how horrible the suffering is, no matter the physical pain, no matter the mental anguish, he said, I'm faithful and I'll be with you. I'm the first and I'm the last. Hallelujah. Amen. Fear none of these things. Fear not. 
We all face fear in our life. But he will help us overcome because he's faithful. He said, these things are coming that you may be tried. The Bible is full of stories of people like you and me, men and women, who went through some very dark things. I don't understand it. I think it would be nice if we lived in a situation where everything was peachy. Everything was rosy. Everything was wonderful. It never got 47 below a wind chill factor. It was only 65. Yeah, that's my degree. 65 all the time. Sun's always shining. Everything's going to be fine. I, I, I have a perfect marriage. I have perfect kids. I got perfect grandkids. I got a gazillion dollars in the bank. I'm giving to missions and tithing a whole bunch. And my pastor now gets to go and have his own yacht. Hey, somebody, wouldn't that be great if that's the way that we live? My business is always going to be successful. I'm never going to have an issue. But what Jesus meant for you and me, that we may not be the church of Smyrna, but we know what suffering is in our own life. We know what trials are. We know what disease is. We know what heartache is. We know what brokenness is. We know what relation issues are. But he said, I'm the first. I'm the last. I'm faithful. How many of you live for God long enough to know that he is faithful when you're up and he's faithful when you're down? He is a faithful God. If you're suffering, the message is Jesus is faithful. Then he says, you'll have tribulation for 10 days. There are things in scriptures, brother and sister, that are ambiguous for a reason. It's left to our conjecture. What does he mean, 10 days? He didn't specify. Bible scholars say all kinds of stuff. I've, I've read all kinds of stuff of what these 10 days mean. Some say the 10 days refer to the 10 brutal emperors from Nero to Diocletian. Others draw significance from the number of 10 being complete. I, I, if it's going to take 10 days to complete you, 10 days of suffering, Somebody's scratching on the prison wall. One, two, three. I don't know. You know, the Bible gives us all kinds of stuff about 10 being perfect. perfect. Uh, amen. We find that uh, God said in Genesis 1, he uses that 10 times. There were 10 plagues of Egypt. The temple, the temple had 10 labors, 10 lampstands, and 10 tables. The Passover lamb was on the 10th day of the first month. There are 10 commandments. And, and so they draw from that. I don't know. I'm just going to fool your thinking, fill up your thinking. But what I think is there is a powerful principle for me that I see in these lines. There's a limit. I wish somebody get this right now. What you're dealing with, Smyrna, there's a limit. And that limit may even lead you to death, but there's a limit. 
There is a limit to what you're dealing with. Amen. Ten days are going to get up. Either Let's look at it this way. You're either going to survive the ten days or you're going to die in the ten days, but you're good. And people say, oh, but pastor, that's a horrible way to look at it. No, that's the faithfulness of God because this life isn't all there is. And I'm not just living this life because that's all I know. I'm living because there's a life after this that I will be with Jesus throughout eternity. I'll worship before his throne and there will be no tears and there will be no suffering and there will be no cancer and there will be no disease. a limit to your suffering. Somebody say that. There's a limit to my suffering. There's a limit. There's a limit. Then he says, be thou faithful unto death and I will give thee the crown of life. This no doubt alludes to what was later recorded in Revelation 12 when that old dragon was taken care of in Revelation 12 and 11 and they overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony, and they love not their lives unto death. Amen. What a, what a powerful statement. Hey, pastor, I want to overcome. Well, do you love your life unto death? Amen. Pastor, I want to have a testimony. Well, are you willing to lay your all on the altar for Christ? The ultimate witness is not loving your life unto death. And he says... And I will give you a crown of life. I'll give you, this church actually has no condemnation, but gets two promises. I'll give you a crown of life. Promise number one. Smyrna was one of the principal Roman cities. It is said to have large stadiums. One of them would seat upwards to 25,000 people. Here the Smyrnians would come and worship in what they called their sacred contest. Large, bloodthirsty mobs would gather to see the sacred contest where Christians were tortured and killed. Open up the, the, the gates and the, the lions would come out and eat them. Amen. It is said that one man said, I will die. And he went to the arena with all the others. But something got into his mind and he, when he saw the lions and he saw all the blood, he ran and there, there was an incense that you could light and you could say, uh, 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 Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. And he denounced it. But there was another man that stepped up and said, he may denounce him, but I cannot. And went to embrace the lions. Went to embrace them and died. But because there were some that were watching that, many began to give their lives to Christ and began to follow. There's something about a child of God that loves not their life to the death. There's something about a child of God that is all in. Come what may, I am all in. Amen. The worshipers, quote unquote worshipers, that would sit in the stands did something very interesting while this was going on. For they called the Christians atheists because they denied Caesar as Lord. 
And they would put upon them, you know, the, the wreath that the Olympians wear. These worshipers would have victory wreaths, victory crowns upon their head. For the Greek word here is not a crown like a king, but is a crown of a champion. That when a runner would run the race, he would get a crown and have it. Well, all these worshipers would have a crown on their head as if they are some way victorious over these Christians that are being killed by the lions, burned to the stake. And Jesus said, if you'll be faithful unto death, I want you to know you will be the one wearing the crown. You will be the one that will be victorious. You will be the one that will ultimately conquer all. You are my champion. You deserve a trophy. I would rather have the applause of heaven. I would rather have the applause of my king than have the applause of this world. I would rather have him like me than a bazillion likes on Facebook. I would rather him befriend me than all the friends I could have and follow. I could have. Smyrna was a, a poor church, but it was a rich church because they were champions. James writes it like this Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised them. That love him. You know what? Here's what you need to know. No matter, no matter how bad your suffering is, if you'll be faithful, there's a crown waiting for you. And we're no different than those that are perhaps even suffering greater persecution because the mental stress and the mental pressure of today's Christian is beyond what anything I think that the, either the early church could imagine. But if you hold on, somebody say, I gotta hold on. I got to hold on because one of these days I'll be the one having the crown put on and hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Hallelujah. Can we take a moment and praise him in this house? Can you take a moment and thank him? Smyrna, Jesus has got some hard words for you. But he doesn't have one rebuke. He doesn't have one criticism. He just has, here's what's coming. Now fear not. It's encouragement. It's revelation. It's hope. And then he says, in Revelation 2 and 11, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith in the churches. He that overcometh shall not be hurt of the second death. Somebody say that's a promise. Jesus gave him the promise of the crown of life, and then he also said, you're not going to be hurt by the second death. The Holy Spirit has something to say to you, Smyrna. You need to listen. You need to pay attention. Listen, Jesus is alive. He's the first and the last. He is the faithful. Smyrna, if you are faithful unto death, if you will deal with the first death, I will let you know that the second death will never touch you. The second death will never touch you. We overcome because our faith in his faithfulness. Later on, Revelation gives for us what the second death is. In Revelation 20 
and 14. The second death is those that are cast into the lake of fire. The second death is eternal hell, eternal separation from God. He says, if you'll be faithful, you'll never be separated from me. If you'll be faithful, you'll never be cast into the lake of fire. If you'll be faithful in me, your lot is not going to be with Satan and the fallen angel and the mark of the beast and and, and old Babylon. Your fate is going to be in my presence for all of eternity. Hallelujah. Can I tell you, you feeling good right now is not the most important thing of your life. Well, I ain't happy. Then turn to the faithful one. Turn to the faithful one. Because we overcome by his faithfulness. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 11. Paul writes to Timothy and said, It's a faithful saying. It's a worthy saying. Statement. For if we be, somebody say past tense. If we be in the past, dead with him, if we're dead to sin, if we've been buried with him in baptism, if we're dead to sin, he says we shall also live with him. But he doesn't stop there. If we suffer, we shall also reign with him. But if we deny him, he also will deny us. If we believe not, yet he abideth, he remains constant, true. What does he remain? Faithful. So me messing up and me, if I would denounce God and walk away, he still is faithful. If I would turn away from him, he's still faithful, but I'm the one that loses. I had rather follow his faithfulness. Oh, God, you're faithful. Oh, God, you're faithful. I may not have a dime to my name, but you're faithful. Oh, God, I've got issues in my life and relationship problems, but God, you're faithful. Lord, you're faithful. You can bring us through. You can bring us over in Jesus' mighty name. He's faithful. His faithfulness is manifested in affliction. His faithfulness, listen, his faithfulness is manifested in your affliction, in your storm, in your trial, in your test. 1 Peter 4, 19 bears this out. Wherefore, let them that suffer according to the will of God commit the keeping of your souls to him in well-doing as unto a faithful creator. Those who suffer stand on the faithfulness of the creator. Amen. His faithfulness is the answer to your suffering. His dependability is the answer to your suffering. Now, I, I, I need to have one caveat that I need to put in here. Just because somebody says something bad about you, isn't you suffering for Jesus Christ's sake? You may be suffering for your own mouth's sake. Get it right. The suffering that I'm talking about and the persecution I'm talking about and the troubles and the trials that I'm talking about has to do with a relationship with Christ. 
Because you're in a relationship with Christ, these storms come, these issues come, these trials and these tests, amen, but they are not going to do anything but direct us to the faithful creator. He's faithful. He's faithful. He's faithful. Stand with me, please. It is your trial that magnifies his faithfulness if you let it. It is your test that reveals his faithfulness. Hallelujah. Psalm 119 and 75 says, I know the Lord. I know, O Lord, that thy judgments are right and that thou in faithfulness hast afflicted me. I know, Lord, you're faithful, even in my affliction, even in my test, even in my trial, even in my confusion, even in my despair. Even my hopelessness, you are faithful. You are faithful. Sometimes suffering, church, doesn't make any sense. What Smyrna went through doesn't make any sense. As a matter of fact, there are in history three or four major persecutions that hit Smyrna all the way up into the 1400s where I don't know the number, but an astronomical number of Christians were killed in Smyrna. So it wasn't just that it was coming in the next few months. It was, a, it was coming over the years. Over the years. Have you ever watched? Have you ever been in a, in, a, in a situation where you feel like you're like Job and this happens and it falls down and it, it goes to, to pieces and then you got, before they get through telling you about that, then this happens and, and it falls down and, and before that, this burns down and before that, something else is happening and it just seems like everywhere it's falling. Anybody been there? I got one word for you. Actually, it's three. He is faithful. He is faithful. He is faithful. The devil's a destroyer, but he is faithful. People make mistakes, but he is faithful. Life can hurt, but he is faithful. There are those that can disappoint you, but he is faithful. Preachers will let you down, but he is faithful. Church family will let you down, but he is faithful. Amen. No matter what you're going through, no matter how big the storm, the worst it can do is take your life. I want to tell you, he's faithful. He is faithful. If you are presently facing a suffering, you need to come to these altars today and renew your faith in the faithful one. If you're presently dealing with some distress, come to the altar right now. Come on, step out. If you're dealing with some problems, come on. I know that some of you are dealing with issues. If you got health issues, you need to come. If you got mind problems, you need to come today. If you got heart problems, you need to come today. Hallelujah. You need to understand He's faithful. He's faithful. Hallelujah. He's faithful. I don't feel it, but He's faithful. I can't see it, but He's faithful. I don't know where it's going to go, but He's faithful. Now, to those of you that are here, can I just tell you, your suffering's coming. Your trial tomorrow is going to show up. 
There will be a test. It may be 10 days. It may be 10 years. But your test is going to come. You need to remember that he's faithful. Right now when everything's going good, remember that he's faithful. I'm going to invite everybody that will to come to this front right now and begin to renew your attachment to a faithful God. He's dependable. He's faithful. Hallelujah. There is none like him. Hallelujah. There is none like him today. He'll help you in your trial. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to the MPC podcast. We trust that today's message has inspired you, encouraged you, and strengthened you in the Lord. We would like to invite you to join us again by simply subscribing to our podcast, and we encourage you to write a review if it has been a blessing to you. Again, you can find us at medorachurch.com to learn more about our ministry.